Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Ballad of an Artificial Satellite by Poole Anderson. This is first published in the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, October 1958. It uh, coincides, or shortly thereafter, uh, the launch and successful transmission of Sputnik, first artificial satellite that we know of. <laughs> and um, the Earth. <laughs> yeah, that we know of. I mean, it's possible the cavemen got something up there somehow. Um, probably wasn't transmitting anything, but, uh, it was a big deal at the time. I was not around, but, uh, I believe you were. I was. I remember reading it in the Sunday paper. And, uh, it was a, it was a kick in the pants to the United States' fledgling, uh, space program. Mm hmm. Um, what, what was the, what was the feeling in the streets? <laughs> well, I was a kid. Um, I was 11. I was excited. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was terrific. Uh, that I, I began scanning the sky to see if I could find it, uh, which was possible. But I also remember that it came quite dramatically because the United States had been televising its own attempts and they kept failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you rockets. Know, you turn on the TV, uh, you know, at, you know, eagerly watch, and you know the the rocket ship would get up about an inch on the TV screen, meaning about a hundred feet or whatever, and then fall over <laughs> sideways and explode on the ground. Um, and that was getting pretty discouraging. And then all of a sudden, there was the headline on the Sunday paper. Uh, so. It was exciting, but disturbing. Distur- and that really... Disturbing because the well, Russians won? The space race? The first space race? That they didn't even... Disturbing because, well, I wasn't so worried about the space race personally. Um, what I was, what I realized as I contemplated this uh, a month and a year and a lifetime later, um, it struck me as an example of something wrong with America's self-image. Were we so damned cocky that we (laughs) would televise new, untried stuff? Uh, Why not just take a movie of it, and then if it works, broadcast the movie 10 seconds later or 10 minutes later? I mean, Kinescope already existed. They could Mm -hmm. have done that. But no, no, nobody thought about putting it on a time delay, or if anyone did, they were overruled. Um, It was just... Foolish. I mean, sure, somebody might get to something before we did, but why should we act as if when we did it, it had to work? Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the world is wider than that. And of course, that's one of the things about uh, the poem that we're dealing with today, that it it asks of us to imagine a world wider than the one we actually have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this is not a famous poem or anything like that um the uh the opening is a quote from thorfinn Carl. If, if i may yeah. b- before you do i just forgive a little correction sure um 
since our listeners can't see the title, it's B-A-L-L-A-D-E. It's Balad. It's not ballad. Balad is the technical oh, Okay. Term. All right. What's the difference between a ballad and a ballad? A ballad is a narrative poem, mm-hmm. uh, typically with a regular rhyme scheme. A ballad is a particular form in which there is a limit of three rhyming words, and the last line of the first stanza is the refrain for all of the stanzas. In fact, what we have here is technically a ballad. Uh, it's got a specific rhyme scheme, which we could talk about before or after we hear it, and but it's three um, eight-line stanzas followed by a four-line stanza that uses, as all of them do, the same three rhyme words and ends with the line that ended each of the of the stanzas. So it's called Three Stanzas in an Envoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, well, the, the rhyme words, it, it's kind of interesting, um, but I think I'd rather talk about the, how the structure bears on the theme after we've had a chance to talk about the mm-hmm. poem as a whole and, and heard it. So um, anyway, it is in fact quite a, it's not just a ballad. It is a highly constrained, prescribed, formal verse form. So I was saying it, it wasn't very um, famous. Um, there, are, if For a poem, it's got a lot of republication, but mostly those are in uh, the same collection over and over again, uh, 50 short science fiction tales. Um, <laughs> you might find this difficult to see, be seen as a science fiction story. Um, I'm not sure if any of those includes the, or maybe they all do, the opening quote from Thorfinn Karlsny's Voyage to Vinland. Um, but I, I found that important to understanding the context and even the title. If, if this was cut off from the title and the context of of that opening quote, I don't think uh, it would be particularly related to Sputnik or any other artificial satellite. So um, I, just that context in mind, um, I think we should probably read it. And I'm going to nominate you to do so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Blood of an artificial satellite. Quote, Thence they sailed far to the southward along the land and came to a nest. The land lay upon the right. There were long and sandy strands. They rode to land and found there upon the nest the keel of a ship and called the place Kilness, and the strands they called Wonder Strands, for it took long to sail by them. From Thorfinn, Carl Stephanie's Voyage to Vinland. One inland summer I walked through Rye, a wind at my heels that smelled of rain, and harried white clouds through a whistling sky where the great sun stalked and shook his mane and roared so brightly across the grain. It, it burned and shimmered like alien sands, Ten years old, I went down a lane, the thunderous light on wonder's strands. 
In ages before the world ran dry, what might the mapless not contain? Atlantis gleamed like a dream to die. Avalon lay under fairy rain. Cibola guarded a golden plain. Tiernan Og was fair-locked fans. Sober men saw from a gull's road wane the wondrous light of Wonderstrands. Such changing countries in cloudland lie, but men grew weary, and they grew sane, and they grew grown, and so did I, and knew Tartessus was only Spain, no galleons call at Taprobane, Salon with English, no queenly hands wear gold from punt, nor sees the Dane the thunderous light of wonder strands. Ahoy, Prince Andros, horizon's bane, they always wait the elven lands, and evening planet gives again the thunderous light on wonder strands. Okay, <laughs> it's pretty confusing. Um, it's got a, a lot of high-level vocab words or old-fashioned words. Um, I broke down a lot of them. <laughs> it helped me quite a bit. And uh, and yet, um, this Wonder Strands, right, this is the end of every stanza, um, is still a little bit mysterious, and it's right in the opening quote from Thorfinn Karlsny's Voyage to Vinland. Now, I happen to know, but I doubt most people do, um, that Vinland is another word for Newfoundland. Um, Vinland is the the land described in a uh, saga, and also evident, um, I think it was in the 1960s, uh, maybe it was earlier than that, um, in fact, it, it was the 60s. I know where you're going. It was the 60s. It's funny because I'm just thinking of that now. This is 1958. Um, Vinland is a, is still mysterious in a sense, right? Because they hadn't found the archaeological evidence to support the theory that the Vikings had actually found Newfoundland and visited right. North America. That's, wow, that's surprising. Um, so, uh, <laughs> This doesn't seem to be connected to the launch of any rockets or satellites at all, right? And yet, um, he's saying it's the ballad of an artificial satellite, or the ballad of an artificial satellite. So, uh, there's some sort of gap between those two things, and I think uh, that's to be found in this um, sense of growing up uh, of our narrator, and then also all of these lands that he mentions that are off the map, not uh, not known where to place them on the map, or if they are, it's over there, past the dragons, right? So we get a, a, quite a list of fantastic lands, or lands that um, will get another name. Vinland eventually gets the name Newfoundland, but um, the vines of Vinland... Um, kind of mysterious, right? And this, this wonder strand. So a strand, uh, I know from, from the magazine, The Strand, <laughs> which is a UK magazine famous for putting out, um, Sherlock Holmes stories and, uh, is actually 
referring to a part of London um, and where the river winds through it. Um, that part of London being called the Strand. Um, but if we've heard of the word stranded, um, that's sort of related as well. So what are the wonder strands, Eric? Well, a strand technically is um, sort of walkable beach. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a walkable area uh, along water, along a river, if you like, but it could also be along uh, an ocean. Uh, a ness is a promontory or a headland. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the wonder strands are the strands that one sees um, along the, the base of this promontory. I take it, therefore, that what uh, Thorfinn is saying is that they were astonished that the strand went on so long. Mm. As they, uh, it took a long time to sail by them. It just kept going and going and going. And so they didn't easily come to an end. They were in wonder at the strand that they could see to the side, mm-hmm. to one side of the ship as they sailed. So the thunderous light on wonder strands, wonderful synesthesia, mm-hmm. right? Light can't make sound, right? So, what I what I understood there um, was the pounding of one's one's own heart in one's ears. Mm. That that there they were, and they saw it, and they were just so filled with excitement. So to me, the wonder strands are not just any old strands; they are strands that suddenly illuminate the possibility of things that uplift one. And I think that uh, Thorfinn's uh, quite sober description, and so it was this, and we rode, and we found that, and what we called them wonder strands, for it took long to sail by them. That's that's really quite a remarkable understatement from a man who, after all, followed Leif Erikson mm-hmm. in order to try to establish a colony at Vinland, where... Uh, uh, Ericsson had had landed. As far as the vines go at L'Anseau Meadows, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the place that actually was discovered archaeologically uh, within a decade after this poem, um, I'm not sure there ever were vines there. Remember, uh, yeah. the, the Danes knew a, a lot about PR, and they named Greenland Greenland, not because <laughs> it was green, but in order to get people to come and and colonize that's right who tried to make it appealing it should have been iceland and iceland should have been greenland yeah but yeah the 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 story behind those those vines i believe it's you know you wouldn't i think there technically are like little viney um grapey things but they're not very exciting but you know you can blow things up a lot if you're trying to sell people on your new colony (laughs) Um, but uh, also thinking about like what is the strand in this case that uh, I mean you you were saying it yourself you were looking up at the uh, sky to try and see this thing passing by yes Uh, I think that that's the the, that's the connection um, that he's making I've read a lot of Paul Anderson and uh, he does have this um, he has a pull towards the Scandinavian lands and their stories 
Um, and and is, he is. He himself. Or I say was. Uh, it, yeah, he himself, his name is uh, very Scandinavian, right? Pool yes. and Anderson. So you've got, you've got it right in his name and in his heritage. And so when he's thinking about uh, Sputnik, what does he think about? He thinks of those pioneering uh, explorers. Um, and, and yet the body of the poem is narrated from a person's point of view. And yet I don't think it's about this person necessarily because of the scope of the imagination we get in the second stanza. So I think we should read it again, uh, especially that, uh, uh, second stanza, but, um, you want to go through it line by line? I, you know, I do, but first I'd like to go through it stanza by stanza because sure. I, I think that you're right. It's a, it's, it's a difficult poem to, to internalize at first, but, uh, basically, the first stanza says, um, when I was 10, I could go out in this natural environment and I would feel things. I'd think of the sun looking down and so on. And I sat down, I saw down a lane, the thunderous light of wonder strands. Okay, so maybe he's a guy, he was a kid in Newfoundland, maybe he was a kid near the born near a fjord. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. He's he's talking about how at the age of ten, the natural world, what what was out there, filled me with wonder, mm-hmm. and I saw it as being out there, the wonder. Then second stanza, in ages before the world ran dry. Well, of course, the world hasn't gone dry, but it means even the ocean or this river or whatever is no longer a lubricant for the imagination. Mm -hmm. Before the world ran dry in ages, meaning earlier ages of humanity, but in the earlier age of me as a person, Mm -hmm. all of these different uh, fantastic realms existed. that's what happened in the, then the third stanza. That's what existed in those places then. But um, now, once they've changed, uh, you know, as the age has changed, as people have aged, they don't see them. Then the envoy, as it's called, which is to, to send in French, the, the, or we know what an E-N-V-O, E-N-V-O-Y is in English. This is an envoi, E-N-V-O-I. Um, what it says is, ah! And then he names another fantastic uh, explorer. Those places always wait, the elven lands. And Evening Planet gives again the thunderous light on wonder strands. Mm. And I think that Evening Planet is the Sputnik that mm-hmm. I would look up and see with my binoculars. Mm-hmm. That's planet, planet being being originally um, a moving star, right? Oh, yes, wandering, actually. But yes, um, a star is planetes, mm-hmm. stars that wander. And, and I remember doing it. I mean, I remember lying on my back on the lawn with my binoculars and seeing, seeing Sputnik. And thereafter, with my bare eyes, uh, unaided vision, I could see Telstar that the U.S. had launched. Um, so it, what we have here is a statement about what things were to the to the Danes 
in uh, the, the beginning of the second millennium. Then, as a child, I saw wonder. Then th these things dried up. No longer can they be seen. But how oh, we can see them again if we see a light cast down from this evening planet. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you're, you're mentioning this uh, uh, prince in the final envoy there. Um, yes. <laughs> I assume it's not a real prince, but rather uh, us, Andros being humans, right? The ma yes. Mankind. So it's almost like what they... They say about the Apollo program, right? They plant the American flag and then they say, for all mankind. <laughs> so, um, well, I, if I guess Horizon Spain is obviously meant as a surname here for Prince Andros. Sure. And Horizon Spain is one of those kennings that one finds mm. in uh, old English and old Norse uh, poetry. Beowulf is, is the bee wolf. He's a bear. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the ocean is the the whale road. Right. Uh, so this is Horizon Spain. But notice that it's got that S in the middle of it, just as Anderson, mm -hmm. just as Carl Sefni. I mean, this is the way that the the north northern peoples um, constructed names. So this is man, but it's a northern man. But it's the Horizon Spain. Why Horizon? Because the Horizon can never be reached here. That's right. Right? Right. Because there's always something else. There's always the elven lands. We can't see them directly, but the planet looks down again, and there's thunderous light on Wonderstrands. So mm -hmm. it, we could go line by line if you like. I think it's easier to understand, though, if we understand the, the, the movement of the, the theme, as I've just tried to suggest. Mm -hmm. So uh, m my focus is mostly on the second stanza to get all those. Uh, there, there are some more in the third stanza as well uh, to get all those names. And, and I'm not, I haven't got all of them, but um, I was, <laughs> I, I was like, Oh, okay. I know some of these, right. Um, I'll just read it again. In ages before the world went, ran dry. What might the mapless not contain? Um, the mapless is the mapless world, I assume. Um, and of course, it contains all those places off the map that we haven't mapped yet. Atlantis gleamed like a dream to die. Um, Atlantis is over there, right? Keep going. Mm -hmm. Avalon lay under fairy rain. Avalon. Oh, they say it's an island off of Wales now. Okay, that's cool. Island of the Apples. Cibola guarded uh, golden Plain. Cibola is one of the seven cities of gold, right? Um, mm -hmm. Somewhere in Colorado, maybe. <laughs> and then we get Tiernan Og was fair locked fans. I don't know that one. Do you know that one? I don't. Well, I've seen Tiernan Og before, but I don't recall where it comes from. All right. I think it's Welsh. I think ah, it's Welsh. Okay. And then Sobermen saw from a gull. Gull's Road Wayne, the thunderous light of Wonderstrands. Now, uh, a Wayne. It's it's Irish. I just looked it up. Oh, okay. Land, Turn it on. Land yeah, that's that sounds right. Um, so the a gull is a seagull. A gull road is the sky, right? In the same way that the whale road is is the ocean, and a Wayne is a plow. Uh, Charles Wayne is the. Uh, is the uh, northern 
uh, it's the uh, Big Dipper, right? I think Wayne is also a wagon. Yes. Um, uh, sober men saw the a uh, gull roads wane, the thunderous light of wonder strands. Um, from a gull roads wane, sober men, right? So this is changing from that uh, youthful imagination. And then in the third stanza, such changing countries in cloudland lie. So when I see cloudland, I think of cloud cuckoo land or a cocaine. <laughs> the um, Middle Ages monk's dream vision of of a fantasy land where everything, it rains cheese. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it's connected right up to um, uh, the Lego movie has uh, cloud cuckoo land in it. <laughs> where you know it's it's kind of like a heavenly version of uh, life on Earth, where everything's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Such changing cou- countries in cloudland lie, but men grew weary and they grew sane. Oh, that's a terrible thing! Don't grow sane, and they grew grown. Wow, wonderful! And so did I, and knew Tartessus was only Spain. Right, Tartessus, I guess it turns out to be Spain. Sad story. No galleons call at Taprobane. Uh, and galleons are these, uh, you know, these treasure ships, which goes right back to Cibola, right? This is what drives people out to the horizon. Is, oh, we're going to get rich. Um, no queenly hands were gold from, where gold from Punt. Punt is one of those mystical, Lands of Africa that, ooh, that's where you get your gold from. Let's get down there. Nor sees the Dane, the thunderous light on wonder strands. It's a sad story, right, at this point. But, ahoy, another call from a ship. Prince Andros's horizon's bane. They always wait. The elven lands. An evening planet gives again the thunderous light of wonder strands. So this is actually all about the science fiction imagination, really, right? You've got this idea mm-hmm. of voyaging, and then you take uh, the sad sadness. There are no lands yet to conquer. There are no lands yet to explore. Everything's mapped out. Now you build a rocket and put a satellite in space. Everything's available. And that's why you have magazines like Planet Stories and uh, Wonder Stories and Amazing Stories and uh, Astounding Stories, uh, right? And it just goes on and on and on because the people who, like Paul Anderson, are thinking about rockets well before they show up in the newspaper on the Sunday, right, um, mm-hmm. are imagining these new planets, these new uh, wonder strands that are going to give us new headlands, new keen keels, keelnesses, right? New places to name, new places to imagine about what aliens lurk in the jungles of Venus, right? And this is uh, obviously this is not the birth of science fiction, but in the popular culture, it really sort of uh, was like a, a sort of a throwing fuel on the fire, you know, or maybe <laughs> blowing oxygen on it, because this is where science fiction sort of gets really going as in the popular imagination. I think with the rockets not just being war weapons or delivery systems for future wars, but also places you could take people and explore. 
Well, that's uh, that's an historical question, and uh, let me put. I'd, I'd like to put that aside. Whether this is this is the moment, because this is '58, and uh, and there are other things that were enormously popular before this. Um, think of all of the the science fiction movies of the '30s. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, of the of the, of the '50s. Of the, uh, there was a lot. The '50s, mm-hmm. exactly. But but you're right. I mean, this is this is saying, look, science fiction can give us. Not just um, a vision of what science can produce, but it can restore our imaginations and give us an idea of what the universe can produce, what might really be out there. And it's wonder, wonderful. Um, we, we, it will show us the light to illuminate our feet as we walk down the wonder strands. I would like to add, though, that the writing here, it's not just that it's full of terrific references, because after all, that can become tiresome, especially for people who don't know the references, if they are misused. But here they're used beautifully. Mm-hmm. That's why I was concerned with the three movements leading to the envoy, so that we understand there's a guy talking here, and he's saying, as a child, I saw this. And, but look what happened to the world. And, and that's the second stanza. And the third stanza, it's because we grew up. I grew up. The world grew up. But now something else has happened that can bring us that again. Now, that movement to freedom comes from an incredibly tight structure. Just looking at the rhyme scheme, the, the lines end, rye, rain, sky, main. Grain, sands, lane, wonder strands. So it's A, B, A, B, B, C, B, C. Exactly. Well, it's A, B, A, B. Right. So what we get is cross rhyme, A, B, A, B. But instead of the second four of the octet being C, D, C, D, it's B, C, B, C. So it's even tighter. You only get three rhymes, even though you have two halves of the stanza doing cross rhyme, which is an incredibly tight structure. That exact same structure is reproduced in each of the stanzas. And so when we get to the envoy and we have Bane lands again strands, we again have just those three reduced, but we again have, actually we only have two of them, we have cross rhyme again. So that incredibly tight structure. This is the ballad as a form that has very highly specified requirements. It would seem as if it's amazingly limiting. Mm-hmm. What Anderson has done, though, is stoked it with the story of a person who went from childhood's wonder to adult sanity, to a restoration, a rejuvenation of that wonder. And in the process, went from, in the first stanza, personal exposure to nature. Second stanza, the literary exposure to fantasy worlds. And in the third stanza, the recognition that one can get beyond it so that the envoy gives us a new view of nature. Mm -hmm. It's not a new land. 
It is an evening planet. So not only has the imagination been restored, but the world has been restored in its nat the, the potency of nature. And that is done by science. As you said when we began, only one year after Sputnik went up. And yet it is science coming after all those American failures. You finally get the formal specifications right. And look what happens. This poem, I think, is not just a good idea. I think it is actually a demonstration of how seeking to get every detail right can open our minds to things beyond the details that we had never previously imagined. Or, to put it another way, now there is always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.